homelessness is a label. It is not who they are. It is a point in time. It is something they are struggling through. It is not something that should be used to put a label on them and define them as a human. And that's what we try to change on those morning runs is when you're running with one of our members who may be suffering from homelessness at that point in time. Um, it's just a human to human conversation. That's Katie Sherritt. And this is episode 61 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and welcome back to my podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from some of the top athletes, coaches, personalities, and behind-the-scenes people in running. This week, I sat down with Katie Sherritt, who is the CEO of Back on My Feet, an organization that uses running and community support to help combat homelessness and provide essential employment opportunities and housing resources for people who need it. We talked about how Back on My Feet came to be, how it's grown, where it's going, what its biggest challenges have been to this point in its 12-year existence, success stories, how running can be used to help spur social change, and a lot more. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's get right to it with Katie Sherritt. All right, well, Katie Sherritt, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you for having me. I have a lot of conversations with top athletes, coaches, personalities in what I call the sport of running. And I love those conversations. That's my background. Um, I have a lot of interest in what those people have to say and their stories. But I really enjoy having these types of conversations with folks who are doing things in running that have nothing to do really with the professional or the elite side of the sport. And you are the CEO of Back on My Feet, which is a nationwide organization that helps um, homeless folks through running. Mm -hmm. And I would love to learn a little bit more about that and about you. So why don't we start with a quick little intro, the elevator pitch. Nope. Who are you and what do you do? Well, yeah. So um, Back on My Feet, as you mentioned, national nonprofit. We're in uh, 13 cities, just about to launch in Denver. And essentially what we do is work with homeless individuals, individuals in inpatient addiction facilities to do what our name says, get them back on their feet. Um, and we start with a running-based program. So they're out in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5.45 a.m. And if they commit to that regimen, they get access after 30 days of 90% attendance, pretty strict on that. They get access to what we call our next steps, which is more traditional workforce development programming, training, education, access to our corporate partners um, that are funders, but also employers of our members and then access to financial aid to support with housing. Um, we've helped over 6,000 members at this point across all of those cities. Um, but the run-in, the run-in is, is the tool we use. And it's, it's where the magic happens on those morning runs. And you see people transform who they are as an individual, how, how much they believe in themselves, what they believe they were capable of, and now what they can do and didn't think they could do. Um, just can't think of a better thing than running to do that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, running is the ultimate vehicle for transformation and that can apply to Mm -hmm. a lot of different areas, but certainly something like homelessness, which is a major problem, not just here in the US, but throughout the world. I want to bring it back to you Mm -hmm. at this point. When did you first become involved with Back on My Feet? 
So I joined the organization uh, oh, almost six years ago now. Time flies when you're running and having fun. And um, it was I was uh, working for uh, Accenture, a consultant mm-hmm. in strategy um, and um, running. And I'd always wanted to do more in um, you know a space where you're giving back. And I came across the organization. And the founder came in to speak. And just the nature of how they were tackling a socialist issue in such a inspiring and innovative way I was like yeah no I need to learn more about that they needed some help with a consulting project I said yep I'll help with that and then um next I think it was the next week I got up and went out on a morning run and at first I have to be honest right when people hear homeless and running it is not the two words you would immediately put together right like it sounds a little strange to people um and I had the same perspective I woke up that morning grumpy because it was the morning and uh headed out and immediately saw how they created a community where everyone was equal. You were in that morning when it's dark out, you're all wearing running gear. There's no CEOs, teachers, lawyers, homeless people. There's no labels. You're, you're all just out there to run together. And, um, doesn't matter whether you run a mile, you know, it doesn't, I couldn't cause I'd had two hip surgeries, um, six months prior. So that I certainly wasn't doing a lot of running, but I, you know, you didn't matter if you ran a mile, didn't run if you ran three miles. Um, and there was just a woman on that morning, Sandra, I'll never forget her name. And she just didn't, she was one of the members and she didn't think she could do it. She didn't think she could run. She ran a block. And it was just very, very inspiring to see how something so simple as running could make such a fundamental change in someone's um just how they think about themselves. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a universal language, it number one. It uh, And it's, it's very democratic. It doesn't mm-hmm. care what your background is, what your gender is, any of that, your socioeconomic status, nope. any of that. Like, it, fundamentally, it is something that we all share, and it's very primal to us as human beings. Exactly. And all they get when they join us, all they need is a pair of sneakers, right? And we have plenty of partners that we're fortunate to have that do that. And most of them will openly say to you, I joined because of the sneakers. Sure. Um, but 80% of them come back. Where were you when you went on that first run with Back on My Feet? I was in New York. Yeah, I lived out in New York. Um, and uh, I immediately went home that day and said to my husband at the time, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to hand my notice in. I really want to do something with this organization because it's quite honestly one of the most powerful things I've ever, I've ever seen, right? It's very innovative. It's very, honestly, bef- ahead of its time, you know, from a, um, when you look at the people and the organizations in the homeless space, you know, no one else is tackling it with mm. some for- form of psychological component at the forefront of it. And that's what we do. We say, you know what? A job isn't enough if the person doesn't believe in themselves and the running shows them what they can do, right? You can't run the 10th mile until you've run the first nine, right? It's not about, you know, beating everyone. It's about, it's about your personal best, right? And it's, there's so many lessons that they learn out of the running that they'll openly say to us, translate into their day-to-day life and into finding a job and, you know, doing all those incremental steps that they have to take to, to get back on their feet. So when you went home that night and told your husband that you're going to have to put your notice in, did they have a position at the time well, or the, were yeah. you just <laughs> hell bent on finding a way to work with bent. this organization? I was a little hell bent. And then I met, then they contacted about the consulting project. And then I met the founder and a um, really dynamic woman and the team she had around her. And she, yeah, I was sat with her for maybe 10, 15 minutes. She said, you know, I'm going to have to hire you. Right. And I was like, 
yeah, no, I know that's why I'm here. Um, and so, you know, um, after a bit of back and forth, then I joined um, six, six years ago. I can't believe it's been six years. Um, and, you know, we've just achieved so much as an organization and we keep growing every year and getting better at what we do and helping more members. So it's been, yeah, it's been quite the journey. Can you give me a brief history lesson on the organization and its origins? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the organization started just over 10 years ago um, uh, and the founder was, um, she'd always used running as a means for her to, um, you know, work through any of the family issues she might be dealing with. Um, As many of us do with running, it it can help clear your mind. And so she used to uh, run early in the mornings and she ran past a homeless shelter and there were some guys out on the street corner and they were, you know, they were homeless. They were living in the homeless shelter and she just started, you know, a little bit of a banter back and forth with them. You know, why are you running so early? Why are you not running? What are you doing just standing there? And it actually got her thinking, like, why am I running past these people? There's nothing stopping them putting on a pair of sneakers, right? It helps me set my day up to feel really good about myself and what I'm going to tackle for the day. I'm maybe, here every morning. They're here every morning. Yeah, maybe they, maybe this could do the same thing for them in a different way, but maybe it could do the same thing for them. So she went in the next morning to the shelter and said, I want to run with some of the guys. And they all looked at her and said, homeless people don't run. Well, 6,000 members later who've got jobs through running, I would say. Homeless people can run. Anyone can run. So yeah. we're born to do I think she it. proved that thesis wrong. Oh, yeah. And so that next week, I think eight members came out and uh, Back on My Feet was formed. Yeah. And the founder's name is? Adam Allen. And this was in Philadelphia, if I'm it not was, mistaken? It was in Philadelphia um, and back in uh, 2007. Yeah. And what were the first steps in the organization's growth from there? Did they focus on Philadelphia for a while before expanding or was it expansion right away? Um, We were in Philadelphia for a little while, but expansion was pretty rapid. And so um, when I kind of stepped in, that was something we slowed down a little bit just to get infrastructure in place, like get more robust processes, make sure it was sustainable. Um, And before we picked up growth again with San Francisco and Denver. But yeah, it was pretty rapid growth. We were in um, almost all markets. But I joined and after I joined, we were in New York, L.A., Austin and then obviously now um, San Francisco and Denver. But it was pretty rapid growth. Yeah, because I think... It's a fairly simple concept to get off the ground, um, but it's also not an easy concept to sell to folks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we just, we believe in it so much and we have the members that can come out and speak about what they've been through and how this has changed their lives, um, which is the most powerful, powerful tool we have to help people understand it, yeah. Let's hit pause there for a second and bring it back Mm -hmm. to you. When did running first come into your life? Um, I ran from an early, my dad was big runner. So I used to run with him when I was young. I've got this picture of us in uh, South of France with my family that live in France. And um, he's got me, I must be like six. He's got me with a backpack on. I think I've got rocks in it. And he's like making me run. I don't know how many miles he's making me run. And there's me and my brother. Um, He just was a big believer in how much it showed you hard work, right? So it was it was all about, you know, um, nothing's going to get handed to you. It's, you know, life is hard work, you know, and I'm going to show you that through running in a way. Um, so I hated running, not going to lie. Until I was like 15, 16, I was like, that was all that felt like was punishment. I love you, dad. Sorry, but it did. Um, and so, um, but at 15, 16, um, I got back into it again, again, just as a way to... Um, 
it's, it's, I have a mind that races a mile a minute. It's probably the only way I can stop it is some form of exercise. And that's what running was for me was just, okay, calm down, like go run. It's like your meditation in a way. Exactly. Um, but unfortunately when I hit 21, I started to have a bunch of injuries and issues. Um, and it took till I was in my thirties for them to realize I had an autoimmune condition that affects the entirety of my spine. And ultimately I'm going to fuse. So running and you know, the, the pounding of your feet on the pavement is not the best for it. So I'm, I'm the jogger now. I'm slow. I lead from behind with the members. Um, unfortunately won't catch me doing, potentially doing any marathons anytime soon, although I'm trying to work on my medical regimen so that I can. What was the role running was playing in your life when you were first introduced to back on my feet? I would, I would say I was, I would in the, I was more of a casual run at that stage because of all the injuries that started to occur. But I just done my, t- I just done a 10 K and I was training for a half. And I think that was, um, and what I'd found was as, um, life got more stressful. I had, there was a lot of family issues going on. My mother was ill. It was just all these things that, um, were making it harder to meditate in general. Um, and, um, it was, it was my escape. It was my escape. It was, it was, um, so I was really intrigued when they said, oh, back of my feet, we all run together. My first thought was, no, but I use running to be alone and to meditate. It's my time. Um, I don't know if this is going to, you know, something I can, I can relate to. Um, but what I found that was so beautiful about it was it still takes me out of my own head, right? You are having conversations with such a unique set of people, um, and it's so inspiring and it's still a way to, um, to relax and really feel a part of something that is collectively trying to do good. And I found that just as, I guess, meditating as I did the, um, the other way I used it. Well, and back to what we talked about at the beginning, it was clearly transformative for you as well during that time in your life when you were dealing with all of these other things that had nothing to do with running, but it helped shape your outlook. It did. It did. And I think, um, it might, so my, my mother's disease was mental. So she has Alzheimer's. She got it very, very early on. And I went through a whole phase of, am I going to lose my mind? Like I'm, I'm, I think a mile a minute, I have this really good, and I have to use running to calm down. And it just, it, it was this whole extra layer of stress and panic that I allowed myself to just lean into. And the only way I could lean out was to go on a run. It was the only way I knew how to, to, to lean out of it. Um, and then and I found this community of back on my feet where there's no judgment. There's no, we're all equal. We're all runners. We're all trying to achieve something in our own way. And it's just, it's really, really supportive community. Um, and, you know, I'm British and it's all stiff up a lift and don't lean into things and hide your emotions. And the community we have at back on my feet is like, you can wear your emotion on your sleeve if you want. That's fine. Right. But we've got goals that we've all got to achieve and we're going to go after them. So it's kind of a little bit tough love, but we will always be there to support you if you fall down on the way. To bring it back to the program, how does it work? I'd love to understand the, the structure of it and the mechanics of what the program looks like mm-hmm. from the point when you set up at a shelter to when someone comes in off the street, or I assume that they're staying in the shelter, approaches you and says they want to be part of of the program. I'd I'd love to bridge that Mm -hmm. gap. Yeah. So what we do is we go into, so we work with transitional homeless shelters. So those that are, you know, anywhere from three months to two years. And that's purposeful because we need to make sure we've got enough time to work with individuals to successfully get them back on their feet. 
Um, and the logistics of the program, you know, a day in, day out emergency shelter is a challenge for us. So what we do is we go into these shelters and we'll recruit within the shelters. So in any of the shelters may have a typical all hands meeting where all the members are there to learn the new rules for that week, the programs going on. We'll go in and, and showcase back on my feet what we do, um, who we are. Um, and in new shelters, that's kind of our, our recruitment tool. In existing shelters where we've been for a long time, Baltimore, Philly, any of those places we've been for a while, they um, actually have members who are alumni now or members that are still in the program, senior members who've been in the shelters for a little while um, and are still working towards employment, who'll do the recruitment for us, right? There's, these guys run into the shelters at 6.30, 7 a.m. in the mornings with back on my feet gear on, smiling faces, cheering, feeling really good about themselves and, you know, everyone in that shelter is going, what did they just do? Well, they're living examples of it. Exactly. What did, what did they just do and why are they all so happy and how do I get in on that, right? And so, um, but on the flip side, it can also be, they can be as um, skeptical as some people can be when you say running three times a week at 5.45 a.m. and I have to do it for 30 days to get anything else. Um, so we just ask them to come out for the first run because it's really hard to describe what it feels like to be on one of those morning runs until you go yourself. Because it's not just we get there and we run. We hug, we do a circle, we do the serenity prayer for those that are going through any form of addiction, um, and we do a question of the day, so we learn a little bit about each other, and then everybody goes off and runs one, two, or three miles, and then at the end, we do a spirit tunnel, We everybody waits, right? No one runs alone, and everybody waits till the last person crosses that finish line, because this is about us doing it together, not alone. So it's a very moving experience. And creating a community simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bridging the divide between... I, don't, I can't tell you how many people come up to me and go, what do you do? Oh, I, I run a nonprofit. Okay, who do you help? The homeless. And half the time, I'll see the judgment in their face in terms of what their perceived view of homeless is. Homelessness is a label. It is not who they are. It is a point in time. It is something they are struggling through. It is not something that should be used to put a label on them and define them as a human. And that's what we try to change on those morning runs is when you're running with one of our members who may be suffering from homelessness at that point in time. Um, it's just a human to human conversation. It's not, it's not homeless to non-homeless. This is, that's why we call them members. Um, yeah. So it's, that's kind of how we do the recruitment aspect of it. And then, like I said, once they've hit that 30 days at 90% attendance, the running continues, you know, three times a week, but they also get access to more training during the day, um, workforce development workshops. Now, is that 30 runs or is that within a 30-day period three times a week? So maybe 12 so runs they, or so. so the runs are set Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, so it's maybe 12 runs or so depending on the 30-day on the period. Um, and then, um, but you still have to maintain good attendance to continue to get access to the workforce development opportunities. Now, of course, we treat it a little bit like a job in a way of, well, if you can't make Wednesday morning run because the facility has uh, something going on that means you can't make it or you're sick, then, you know, you can call the program staff and let them know what's going on. But, you know, you have to let people know, right? Because all of it is a ultimately a training process to showcase just how dedicated and accountable and committed our members are to our employment partners. And most of them are amazed by the level of commitment that they show and would kill for that in their staff. And I'm like, well, I've got a really solid workforce for you right here. <laughs> how does it work from 
a staffing standpoint. You mentioned how there are former members who will come out and they're evangelists for the organization because it's changed mm -hmm. their lives. And you're part of an executive team that runs the organization on a nationwide mm -hmm. basis. But within each of these shelters, what does it look like from a staffing standpoint? Are there coaches? Are there volunteers? Are there full-time members who are rallying everyone? I'd love to understand what that so looks like. So the shelters are our partners and we, we have, but we have program staff uh, ourselves in we have about 52 53 staff right now um, and we have anywhere from two to five staff in any given location across the 13 locations and then we have our national staff as you mentioned um, the local staff are a mix of program staff and you know community engagement um, development folks um, predominantly program staff and they will um, coordinate with the the shelters and the facilities to organize the morning runs, to organize members coming to our workshops and um, to coordinate on job opportunities. Um, and, and they're, you know, phenomenal partners to us. Um, the staff themselves could not do their jobs locally without the thousands of volunteers that we have. So in any given chapter, we have hundreds of volunteers in some thousands. Um, they're the backbone of the organization. They're the ones coming out Monday, Wednesday, Friday with our members. And in each of those Monday, Wednesday, Friday teams, we have a volunteer group, core groups or core volunteers, we call them. And we'll have a coach within that, someone that defines the running routes, someone who is the team lead effectively to communicate all details about the location, things like that, any changes. Um, and then we may have someone that's like the social head, right? So they might organize some kind of um, social gathering. And also we give out incentives. So as part of the process, it's, you know, we, we give, we reward our members when they show their dedication. So if, when you get to the 50 mile mark, you get a gift. When you get to the hundred mile mark, you get a gift. Um, and so, um, that's how it works from a, you know, resource perspective in terms of the staffing. So there's a lot of opportunity for folks who are runners out there that, you know, want to put that running to a, to a, you know, a good course is coming and being a volunteer on our morning runs with our members coaching our members to marathons and many we've had 450 members run marathons um or running one of the many majors for us we have bibs for all of them so if i wanted to get involved i could show up at the shelter tomorrow morning at 5 45 and help out in some way yeah so no what we would do is you go on our website mm -hmm. www.backonmyfeet.org um and the, there's uh, a link that's run with run run with us or run for us and the run with us is the link to the volunteer documentation that you just have to fill out um you'll attend a volunteer orientation sometimes that's conducted at that morning run, like right then and there. Sometimes there'll be, you know, weekly orientations that you can attend just to learn about the, how it works, how many miles we run, um, it, some of the members themselves. Um, so that would be one way to get involved. And then the other way is uh, running a race for us. So we obviously have bibs to all of the majors, um, but we also have bibs to lots of races, smaller races within the local markets themselves. <laughs> Hey, we're going to take a quick break to thank the sponsor that is helping make this episode possible. It is UCAN. Getting the most out of your training starts with the right nutrition and UCAN Performance Energy Powders, which is what I use before my big workouts and long races, will give you steady, long-lasting energy with no spikes and no crashes. It's also used by Olympians like Meb Kofleski, Dathan Ritzenhine, and Alexi Pappas, so you know it's the real deal. UCAN has a great offer from Morning Shakeout listeners right now. Try out the Performance Energy Sample Pack, which includes three Performance Energy Packets and two Performance Energy Plus Protein Packets for only 10 bucks. 
You can check out the offer at generationucan.com slash discount slash you can shake out. That's U-C-A-N-S-H-A-K-E-O-U-T. And use that same code you can shake out when you check out to receive free shipping. Or you can save 15% on any UCAN item you buy on generationucan.com with the code SHAKEOUT when you check out. My thanks to UCAN for their continued support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Do a lot of the members end up training for races themselves, even if it's just a local 5K and not a major marathon? Yes. So we have... um, I would say we've had, like I said, we've had the 450 members run marathons, but we've had thousands of members run 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons locally within the markets. And so many of the races um, that we partner with that we have people run to raise money for will also donate a number of bibs so that our members can run. So, which is, which is so great because that helps them. It's just another goal, right? It's like, okay, you've done one or two, three miles on the morning run. Now you can do 5K, 10K. On some level, does it take the form or feeling of a training group when you walk in there on Mm. a Wednesday morning at 545 because you have all these members who are working toward the same goal? Well, we have... um it doesn't necessarily feel like a training group in that you'll have really different abilities, sure. right? You'll have, you know, me walking at the back with one of the women, one of the women from the team here, or you, and you'll have, you know, uh, one of the, one of the members at the front running, you know, a four minute mile. Like we have such varying ability, um, that it really just feels like a community gathering focused around running. Um, but we do have Saturday morning runs in a lot of our chapters that are specific training runs for those long races so that rate it will be a little later in the morning eight ish and that will focus on longer distances and then we specifically do training marathon training for members in that you know a few month period leading up to the marathon where we have you know very specific marathon training to make sure they're ready at risk of skipping too far ahead here do a lot of the members end up sticking with running once they graduate from the program a lot of the members end up sticking with running. Some of them have challenges running with us because of the time, you know, if they've got a job, things like that. But we do have a number of members that continue to run races. We've got members, um, New York is a really popular race for our members to run and they're very generous with the bibs they give. And we've got members that have run five, six New York marathons. Um, but yeah, absolutely. A lot of them um, use it as a tool for continued to support with continued sobriety, to continue um, to help them deal with any challenges that life throws at them, right? I'm going to go for a run and clear my head. But yeah, absolutely. And you see all over social media, they're posting their runs and they're, you know, map my run or whatever it is, they're posting it, which is really great to see. And some of them who never really lent into the running in the first, but lent into the community aspects of what we do. But maybe we have one woman uh, who went from homeless and we helped her get into Harvard, Norma in Boston. And she never ran a day in the program. She always walked, but she was always there, 100% attendance. She never missed it. And she cheered everybody else on that ran. But, you know, it, the walking was, you know, walking and being with the community was what did it for her. So Just that encouragement from others that you're surrounded with to let you know that, one, you're not alone, but two, that you can do something that you didn't think you were capable of is yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's, it's, I... I'll, I'll say, I always say it and I try to describe, you know, I go into these meetings and I'm trying to meet people to get them engaged in what we do. And it's just really hard to describe the feeling that you get when you see a member's face when they cross a finish line. Like 
you, there's no money and like nothing in the world can match that. Like, I think a lot the, of my listeners can relate to that. You know, it's like We've all been when there. you see, you know what they've been through, you know, they're living in a shelter right now, you know what they're struggling with and they cross a marathon finish line. Hey, you can do anything, you know, we've got you every step of the way. Yeah. It just opens their mind up to mm-hmm. possibilities. Absolutely. Aside from the runs and meeting three times a week as a group and doing all of that, what are the other foundational elements of the program? So the foundational elements include, um, we have, uh, three standard phases of our workforce development program that members, um, take part in, um, and they are supported by financial, um, by partners that provide funding, but also workforce development training. So we do financial literacy with the members, you know, what, what's a credit score? How do you manage on a budget? Um, we do, uh, all of the workforce development resume building, how to do a mock in, you know, mock interview with them. Um, and then we also do computer literacy, um, because clearly in this day and age, if you're not sure. not savvy on how to use the internet to find a job or have a LinkedIn profile or any of those aspects, it's going to be a struggle. So those are the core tenements. But then we also do like hard skills training. So we, we've done the analysis to figure out, okay, what are the skills that are going to be something that our members can, can work towards and what are the skills needed in the marketplace? And then we go out and we match that up with the employers that we have. So forklift truck driving, things like that. Um, but we've actually hired members. So one of our alumni in New York, um, he's now our alumni coordinator, Derek, um, still a big runner. He's running New York again. Um, and uh, he does peer-to-peer mentoring, uh, goes in, helps recruit members from the facility, you know, shows them what life can be if you join back on my feet, become a part of it. How many employees are in the organization? 52, 53. We're like on a mass hiring spree now. So also check out our website for that. (laughs) And how many of those employees are alumni? Uh, We have two alumni right now. Our aim is to have one alumni coordinator in every single chapter. So we just started that last year, two years ago. um, And it's gone really well. We wanted to be careful. You go from being a support network to an employer, slightly different. But um, it's gone really, really well. Derek's doing a a fantastic job in New York Um, because who better to know what our members need and really draw that out than someone that's been through it and really help figure out with our alumni, okay, what is the next step for you all and what skills and and support do you need to get there? Um, So, yeah, our plan is to have them everywhere. Um, Yeah. An organization such as Back on My Feet, which has nationwide scope, and has employees and has just the overall reach and impact that it does. It can't do it without obviously the employees and the volunteers and the coaches who make all of this possible, but imagine sponsors as well or partners for the organization. Who are some of the partners that Back on My Feet relies on to exist and maybe eventually grow? Yeah. So we have um, a lot of large national partners who also have individuals that sit on a national board and they are the drivers of of our funding, whether that's them funding it through their corporations or bringing corporations that are their vendors. And we have Accenture, Ace Cash Express, AT&T, Cigna, uh, Beanbow Bakeries, um, I'm going to miss some, which might get me in trouble. Morgan Lewis. Um, and we've also, Marriott is a huge one because they also employ our members 
which has been phenomenal as well. And then we have more, you know, regional players that support. Um, for example, here in San Francisco, Webcore is a huge local partner of what we do. We also have um, Lululemon is engaged. Outdoor Voices is engaged with us. Um, and Cliff Bar is very generous. My dad loves Cliff Bars, so he loves that we have that partnership. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's we have a lot of corporate partners. Um, we also, as I mentioned with Accenture, we have Ernst & Young, uh, PwC, and a number of those partners that bring volunteers to do the workforce development side of what we do versus just the running side of what we do. Um, but then we also have a lot of local um, running clubs here in San Francisco or in any of our markets that... Um, will help with coaching for marathons um, or the bigger races um, uh, and get us connected to other organizations locally that can support. But yeah, it, it takes a village. It definitely does. <laughs> Do you see the organization growing, not just to other cities, but in terms of its core focus of helping homeless folks, um, but also helping them in the way that you do? Do you continue sort of the current protocol that you're on or are there plans to evolve it in any way? The thing we've been leaning into more and more is um, making sure that we have adequate workforce development training for our members, learning from the alumni that we've hired to identify what, what more can our members achieve to make sure that they're truly in livable wage jobs, that there is no going backwards, that we are upskilling them continually at the pace that the market is changing and evolving. So we've really started to lean in on that. Um, and the other aspect is we've recognized that um, we whilst we aren't someone that has housing at our very fingertips to place them in. Um, we've realized that we're very unique in the financial aid model aspects of that. So in the financial aid model, um, we provide first month's rent and security deposit. Because again, the way we see it is we want to remove all of the hurdles and the barriers that have been put in your way. You're doing all the hard work here to get emotionally and um, mentally, uh, physically and um, psychologically prepped for this change. You're doing all the work on the workforce development side. We don't want those barriers in your way. So we're leaning in a little bit more to that financial aid aspect of making sure that first month's rent, security deposit, trying to build that pool of funding up, to be honest, to make sure that um, they are secure in their evolution because they're not going to sustain that job if they don't have a home over their head, yeah. um, right? So we're, we're leaning on those two things. I do think we've also established that um, as much as I think running can solve everything, um, it isn't going to be the solve, the be all and end all for solving homelessness. We're not, we, we know that. We know that we're niche. What we do recognize is that there is, is a, a, a certain subset of individuals who are going through homelessness, who are going through some form of addiction, who can really, really benefit from our program in a way that no other program is able to help them. And our members are the ones that say that to us. I've worked, you know, three or four other programs before this. None of them helped. This was the difference maker because you actually cared. You were a community. You did more with me than just say, here's how you do a resume, right? Um, and you kept me connected when I left. And so um, with that recognition of niche, we're going to be launching in many more markets in the next three to five years. So Denver is on the list, Florida's on the list coming up, Seattle's on the list, um, because we have seen that, you know, we, our program works for a, a subset of people extremely well, more so than any other program can. 
So keep that going. Who are those types of people that it works really well for? So that's what we that's why we focus on transitional homeless facilities where someone for example, if you've been placed in a housing first, that's the government's mandate on, on homelessness is the housing first, or it has been. Um, if you are placed in a housing first, that is permanent supportive housing for the rest of your life. The p- very premise of back on my feet works on two factors, right? You have to be stable enough, but motivated enough. Now, if you're in permanent supportive housing for the rest of your life, that's a little harder on the motivator side of the scale. You've got the stability, but mm-hmm. maybe you you're not motivated to change your ma- situation. But, but, you know, are you as motivated? Is there as much of a carrot, for want of a better word, to, to be to, to, to do um, our program? Um, so we, whilst we believe in housing first for, for a, a, a portion of the homeless population, we also think it can be dangerous if that's the broad generic for everybody because of the nature of what we've seen achieved through working with that transitional homeless population. Now, the emergency homeless population, a same challenge. Um, and we find in some cities, this transitional homeless, is it's shrinking a little bit. There's more emergency and there's more long-term. Um, and so that's where we, we um, lent into inpatient addiction facilities where they may not consider themselves homeless, but they're housing insecure and there is not a home to necessarily go to at the end of it. Um, and so we can absolutely help with, um, the, uh, getting them reemployed and getting them back on their feet from a housing standpoint. So the best, the, the folks that we work the best with are in that middle ground where there's enough motivation, but enough stability, um, because we are, um, reliant on partners, right? We, we, we don't step in and try to recreate the wheel. We step in and we add value to a subset of the population that really might be being overlooked by other generic approaches to it. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And on the same token, it's not like you can go out into a city and go to a homeless camp under a bridge and say, hey, here's some running shoes. Let's start yeah. moving together. That's yeah. not going to work. And I think that's the perception people have when we we, ter- we use the word homeless um, is the the unfortunate folks that are under a bridge somewhere and that isn't who we go and hand sneakers to but many of our members have lived that life they've just found their way to a shelter for eventually for whatever reason maybe there there wasn't a shelter bed available or maybe they didn't feel safe heading to the shelter or just weren't ready for that step but um yeah unfortunately we don't with that work with that population but many of our members have been there. So any, every bed that we move, every bed and every individual that we move out of transitional homeless shelter is a bed available for someone that is currently sleeping under the bridge. And that's the way we look at it. That's our added value in that space. Is there a way to get those folks into the transitional shelter? Um, the city do a, the city do um, something called a, a well they do a housing count where they go and they they verify like how many they think are actually in street homelessness. It varies by city. Um, some and I'm going to use the carrot stick approach again, but in some cities there's more carrot, less stick. In some cities there's less stick, more carrot. Um, in some cities there's not enough of both um, in the sense that if you don't if you don't make the shelters somewhere that feels safe for individuals to be in, you are going to get less people wanting to to, to move into them. At the, same, at the same token, if you make sleeping on the streets... Um, so available in a sense, and I mean that in the sense of if there is an open shelter bed, which there are in San Francisco, and you don't take that person and put them in it, then you are not only doing a disservice to that individual, um, because however much they tell you they want to be on the streets, you know, at that point, it's like, but 
but do you? Because has anyone ever shown you another path? Like, has anyone ever shown you what you could be and what you could be capable of? And so, um, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's a mass challenge in every city and there isn't enough funding. Um, but I also think there isn't enough of a middle ground conversation around, you know, extreme policies, blanket policies don't work. Um, so we'd love to partner with cities a little bit more on our approach so that, for example, if this facility is only a three month facility, typically could someone in our program get a six month stay because they're literally in the midst of finding a job with us. We can't have them being kicked out of the shelter at the four month mark because they're in the middle of finding a job. And we've had that happen here in San Francisco. It's happened. And we've had to scramble and try and find them. And we don't want to be, we want to be focused on this person is in a facility. We're in the process of finding them a job. They've got, they're in the interview process. Give them an extension, right? Beyond your typical extension policies because they're in our kind of a program. So it's more of that really trying to, have those conversations about partnering on this as a collective for the group, for the ultimate greater good. Um, and, and yeah, so we, we're constantly trying to work on that. It's, you know, it's hard to get into those conversations sometimes. Homelessness is far from a domestic issue. Does mm -hmm. back on my feet have plans to ever expand internationally? I'm very biased on that front. So I think we should have been in England yesterday, just saying. Um, but um, the reality is there are many, many more cities in the US that we could be service serving right now. And so um, the uh, the most strategic, the best approach is to um, stay here for now and work with um, all of the cities we can. We have just established a new markets team though, and they are going to be launching many more markets. And one of the markets that we have looked internationally is London. We have many, many people that run the London Marathon for us. We want to get a member running it for us. We've already had a lot of interest from London itself. Um, so we are seriously considering London in the next couple of years from an international standpoint. What are the challenges that you anticipate facing as the organization grows and has more reach? I think the the challenge that we we have now is, is going to be the challenge that we have in the future in the sense that every city tackles homelessness a little bit differently. So it's not... Um, it's not like selling running shoes, right? You can sell running shoes in any state and pretty much, you know, you might have a different market segment, et cetera, but it's, we have to make sure that we really understand each city's approach to homelessness. Um, and, uh, you know, how many inpatient addiction facilities there are, their approach to addiction, things like that. We have to really understand those things to know if our program is going to have the best impact and the most impact it can have. Cause there's, you know, 20, 30 other cities we could be in, which of those make the most sense right now to have the most impact. Because um, we are very, it's because I'm an ex-consultant, we are very like value creation, like goal driven. And it is about, you know, we take it seriously when people donate, right? We take it seriously and we say, okay, where's that money going to have the greatest value um, and have the most impact and have the most dramatic change? And so I think that challenge, uh, the challenge with that comes in that that's just, that's a lot, right? If you were just one market going super deep and like it, that would be less to learn. Um, so our challenge is making sure that we're always learning and we're making sure that we know what we don't know about a market and how it operates and making sure we can have the most impact there. It gets the right members. What are some of the biggest success stories that you've come across in your time with the organization? You've mentioned a couple of them already in this conversation, but um, so I'd like to hear a few more. Yeah, so um, one of our members, Sean in Austin, so he um, 
was a veteran and he um, struggled through, he actually was injured in service and he, they put him on opioids, painkillers, and he uh, became addicted, um, left the service, uh, the addiction got worse um, and uh, became heroin addiction. And he really struggled for a long time with that. And um, he was in one of the facilities down there in Austin and came across back on my feet and started to run with us. And um, he'd done rehab a number of times. Um, and we actually have a video on this on our website. Um, people want to check it out. But he'd done, he'd done rehab a number of times. And the video talks about his, not only his journey with running, uh, he qualified for the Western States. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's not, messing, no small feet. He's not messing around. Um, yeah, he's, he's multiple marathons, you know, um, ultra runner now, um, uh, always looking for the next race. And he, um, but the, for me, the best part of his whole journey was uh, in this video where he connect, reconnected with his mother. And um, in the video, you hear her say, I just knew this time it was different. It was just something in the way you laughed, in the way you talked about what you were doing. And he'd just fallen in love with running. Like he just fell in love with it. It was his calling and, you know, he talks about it all the time and he's always looking for the next race. And, you know, he's back reunited with his family. He's doing really positive stuff. He actually still runs with one of the teams. He helps recruit folks into one of the teams. Um, and I just, just that, family reunification aspects of what we do that, you know, you don't always put metrics or numbers around it, you know, um, is really powerful because that was a ripple effect. Running had a ripple effect on that entire family. Um, and I just think it was, I just think it was a beautiful story. Back it up a bit. One thing I meant to ask earlier is about the demographics of the folks who are part of back on my feet programs. What is the breakdown from male to female uh, age range, yeah, uh, like all that sort of stuff. So we have, um, eight, it's 80% male, 20% female. And that was purposeful, um, because the male homeless population, um, male population in general is generally the most underfunded and underserved. Um, and so 80% males, 20% female, we have, um, there's over, um, 50% African-American individuals in the program. Um, and the youngest member 18, the oldest member is in their seventies. I'm not going to say the exact number cause I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I think they were in this like mid seventies. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the demographics piece. What are some of the challenges that lead people to back on my feet? Mm -hmm. So uh, addiction is a big one. Mm -hmm. Over 60% of our members have had or have some form of addiction. Um, uh, a lot of our members come from um, backgrounds that where they don't, they, they weren't given access to a lot of education opportunities um, and uh, maybe grew up in neighborhoods that really didn't, didn't show you the opportunities that were out there. Um, so there was a number of our members that have some form of criminal history in their background. Um, and, um, but I got to me, when I'm out there and I'm listening to their stories, the common thing I hear is trauma. Every single one of them has been through some form of trauma, whether it was when they were young as a child, whether it was the environment they grew up in, whether it was, um, you know, serving overseas as veterans, because over 25% of our members are veterans. It, there is, there is a common theme of some form of trauma in their life that 
that led them to want to be part of our positive community and led them to running, right, as their therapy. Um, and that's what the running becomes. It becomes that a, a form and a component of their therapy um, to the trauma that they've been through and the um, the things that they've they've faced. That's one of the amazing things about running is you see that even outside of homelessness problem. A lot of people turn to the sport or end up taking part in the sport to deal with some sort of trauma or event or struggle in their lives that they had no other way of coping with it. Yeah. And I think that for one of a better word, you know, the running for some of the individuals that have gone through some form of addiction, the running becomes the more positive addiction. Right. Um, you know, if you look at the science in that, there is something around, you know, some form of addictive personality. Um, and whether you believe in that or not, that that is for a lot of our members, that running is when they might feel like they want to drink, they go for a run. Um, and I think that um, it again, it, it is a component of their overarching um approach to recovery for a lot of them. I think you know, the other challenge is I, I meet so many of our members and, and so much of it is societal, right? It's, they were born into a situation where there wasn't a lot of money, um, in the family. There was maybe already drugs in the family. They were exposed to it at a young age and they made some bad choices at a very young age that we would probably all make had we been born into their circumstances. And then they maybe get some form of criminal record because of it. And don't get me started on the whole drugs and the criminal records that were given out there that were just ridiculous sentences for minor offenses. But we see a lot of that. We see those guys 20 years ago coming out of prison that were given those sentences that made no sense. Um, and they're now in their 40s and nobody wants to employ them. And I'll find people to employ them because they are dedicated, they are committed, they've proven that through our program and they have skills that can be utilized by any of the employers out there. And I just, I believe so strongly in that second chances component of what we do, because if society doesn't give people second chances, then they're all going to end up under the bridge. So you can't talk about homelessness. You can't talk about that without talking about giving people second chances because that's typically in their world when, you have, when you've got to that level of desperation in terms of your, your situation, you're going to probably do things that may land you in not so great waters. Not everyone. We also have folks, especially in some of our cities where the cost of living is so high, that just fell on hard times. Someone in their family got sick. They got sick. They couldn't afford their medical bills. They lost everything because of it. But they, you know, they have an education and they have a bachelor's degree. They grew up similar to how I grew up. There's literally, they just fell on hard times. So it really is very varied. Um, yeah. It's powerful. And I think the greater message there is we need to lift each other up more. And how you get these people back on their feet mm -hmm. um, yeah. to, to use, you know, the organization's name is just by, by offering that opportunity. And I think people just need to know that that opportunity, regardless of whatever hard times that they're falling on, whether they're homeless, whether, you know, they've lost their job, they're out of a relationship, whatever it may be, the opportunity is, is the important thing because people are going to seize that if they're presented to it or exactly. most people will. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not just for our members, our volunteers feel that too. You know, when I, some of the hardest times I've been through in my life, um, I go through divorce now and one of the members, it was my birthday and, um, uh, there's addiction issues, but I, he, um, one of the members came and bought me a, like a candle for my birthday and like put it on my desk in the office. And I 
had just powered through. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to focus on work. And it was just, it was just one of those moments where you're like, no, lean in, right? They're leaning into you. We're leaning into them, lean into each other. Um, because that's the only way you're going to heal a community, right? And I'm not, I mean, I'm cold British heart over here, right? So I believe in the tough love and the hard work and the dedication component of it. But at the end of the day, if you don't couple that with that lean in mentality and community and support if nature, it's not going to work. So it's, it's, I just think that's what's so beautiful about what we do. It's that perfect balance of everyone works really hard for what they get out of our program every single step of the way you're going to be supported, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're a member or whether you're the CEO, I guess, right? Um, It's beautiful, Candle. I have it on my little side table. (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you. A couple more things before we wrap up. How can folks get involved in Back on My Feet, especially if there isn't a program in their city? Well, they should definitely send us a note because what we actually do, one of our metrics for determining new city new cities to launch in is the level of requests that we've had for that city. It's, it's one of the components, obviously looking at the homelessness landscape and the need, but that is one of the components because at the end of the day, to launch a new city, we need a dedicated committee of individuals who form a local board there to help us launch that, to help us get the funding, to pay the staff salaries, to pay the financial aid for the members. So if we don't have, um, uh, a team in, in the city you're currently in, send us a note, uh, about that. We'll get it on the list. We have this new markets team and we're going to be looking for people that want to help us launch. The other ask, the other way to get involved is to fundraise for us. So if there's a race in your city that you want to run or a race nearby or a race in another city, um, run that race for us. Go online. You can run for us. You can set, we'll set you up with a fundraising page um, and you can run a race for us to support members in any of the markets that we're in. Um, and then, yeah, those are the two major ways um, to get involved. To bring it back to you, how has your perspective on running evolved since you've become involved with Back on My Feet? I think um, for me, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, running was such a a solo journey for me. It was such a solo venture. It was my time with my music with all no music and just, just nothing. Um, and I think that was because my personality lent itself to not trying to not need anything or anyone. Right. I was like, no, it's just me and running and I've got this. And what back on my feet and the way we use running has taught me is that you go so much further if you're running as a team. Um, it's not about running fast. It's not, it's just about running together as a team and supporting each other, no matter how fast you are, no matter how far you can run. Um, that's kind of what it's taught me is that it can be a really powerful tool if you integrate it into a community um, for the individuals, um, but also for the community at large. Yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for having me. All right. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support the podcast, please go to the podcast app that you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is, and leave a rating and a review. It really mean a lot to me. It helps new listeners to discover the show, and it's the easiest way to show your support. 
A big thank you to UCAN for sponsoring this episode. UCAN is offering a great deal to Morning Shakeout listeners right now. That's you. You can try out the Performance Energy Sample Pack, which includes three Performance Energy Packets, two Performance Energy Plus Protein Packets for only 10 bucks. You can check that offer out at generationucan.com slash discount slash shakeout. That's U-C-A-N-S-H-A-K-E-O-U-T. And use that same code UCANSHAKEOUT when you check out to get free shipping. Or you can save 15% on any UCAN item that you buy on generationucan.com with the code SHAKEOUT when you check out. I'd also like to thank my man John Summerford at BearsRecords.com. He takes care of all my audio needs for the show, including the music, which he produced himself. And he's a big part of my small team here at The Morning Shakeout. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. You'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening that I think you'll enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. 